Hey, listener. Before we get into the good stuff, I just wanted to let you know, if you'd rather just get this entire audiobook at once and start listening to it immediately, just head over to my website at nickthacker.com audio. That's N-I-C-K-T-H-A-C-K-E-R.com slash audio. This is The Atlantis Stone by me, Nick Thacker, read by my friend with a much better voice, Mike Vendetti. Chapter 7 10.46 p.m. University of New Mexico, Department of Ancient Studies, Albuquerque, New Mexico, USA Professor Jensen Andrews felt exhausted And it was only Wednesday Seemed like as he got older, the days got shorter Yet somehow he ended up even busier Tonight he had a stack of papers in front of him That needed to be read and graded But he'd pushed them aside and was now hunched over a National Geographic magazine, fighting back much-needed sleep. He had intended to take a break from grading the essays an hour ago. It was approaching midnight, and he wondered if it would be easier to just sleep on his office's futon mattress instead of driving all the way home. The hall outside his office was darker than usual. The exit signs at each end and the safety light at the restroom door were the only illumination. During the day and throughout most of the nights during the school year, the halls were filled with a whitewashed glow of fluorescent ceiling lights. The Geography and World Studies wing of the college was one of several 24-hour facilities on campus, and most of the professors and even some of the students often stayed after hours to finish up grading and assignments. Must be the football game tonight, he thought. His eyes wandered over the page on his desk in front of him, sleep sneaking in and causing him to drift away. Finally, exhaustion won out, and his eyes closed for a brief moment, his head propped up by his fist. No sooner had he drifted off than his head snapped back upright, and his bleary eyes blinked back open into focus. What was that? He could have sworn he'd heard a noise outside his office. He sat dead still at his desk for a full minute, not hearing anything. Finally, he rose to his feet and walked quietly to his office door. His heart was suddenly pounding, and he stood at the doorway for a moment to catch his breath. Why was he so shaken up tonight? Most likely it was some kids down the hall, or a night janitor on the other side of the building. Nothing to worry about. Fuck! There it was again, only this time louder. He tensed, 
frozen in place, straining to hear around the corner. Absolutely silent, he reached out and pulled open his office door. The gentle click of the handle retracting made him stop for a second to listen again, but there wasn't a sound. With the door half open, he leaned his head out slowly and pushed his glasses upwards on his face, as if somehow it would improve his sight in the near darkness. Squinting, he could make out the exit sign at the far end of the hall to his left. To the right, he could see about twenty paces until the blackness overcame the feeble light. Hello? The silence seemed to intensify. After what seemed an eternity, he let out his breath. He hadn't realized he'd been holding it. He took one step into the hallway. Ever so slowly, he turned to the left and moved tentatively toward the exit. After a few steps, his pace quickened, and his timidity gave way to curiosity. He was about halfway to the end of the hall when his instincts kicked in. He slowed, suddenly unsure, and tried again to focus on the exit, now about fifty feet ahead. What is that? He thought, as his eyes passed over a large, dark shape on the floor in the corner. His heart raced again. The shape slowly became clearer to him. A pile of clothing? No. A coat? And a... Oh my God, it's a body! As he drew closer, he could make out that the person was unnervingly still. Not at all like someone sleeping or even passed out drunk. Jenkins had never seen a dead body before, yet he somehow knew that he was looking at one now. His heart was racing. Who was this? And what had happened? He rolled the face-down body over and only then noticed the growing pool of blood on the floor underneath. That alone would normally have caused him to jump back. But it was the round bullet hole directly between the man's eyes that pushed him into a state of panic. He dove back against the wall, fighting to keep from hyperventilating. As he stared in shock, he realized the dead man was a security guard. He wasn't sure, but he thought he actually recognized the man. Perhaps he'd spoken to him once or twice before. Okay, Jensen. What the hell do you do now? You never had time to come up with an answer. Thwap! Ah. 
Chapter 8 Bryce's week had been a blur. After Mr. Whittenfield left him at the infirmary, Bryce made his final preparations and packed for his departure. The last 72 hours, he'd been traveling nonstop, first from the forward operating base to the airstrip four hours south. From there, he'd been flown to an aircraft carrier off the coast and then to a military base outside of London. His wounds healing quickly still hurt and provided him with an excuse to continue taking the powerful painkiller as the doctor in Iraq had given him. While he was at the base in London, he charged his cell phone and placed a call to his mother's home in Utah. Linda Ortiz, a nurse charged with providing the at-home care, answered and updated him with details on his mother's health over the past few weeks. It had been a while since he'd called, so he listened quietly as Linda gave the same response he'd heard countless times. She's doing well, about as well as can be expected. She's not hurting, but the symptoms haven't changed. I'm sure she misses you too, Mr. Bryce. I know, thank you for everything. Actually, I may be able to get back sooner than I'd expected. I'll let you know for sure. Thanks again, Linda. He hung up and put the phone back in his pocket slowly as his left arm was feeling tight. He stood walking to the window and tried to picture his mother before the virus had taken her livelihood. She was a great woman, strong but in a gentle way. After his father had passed away six years ago, she'd moved from Denver to the quieter life of a sleepy Utah town. Bryce moved regularly during his first few years in the military, but he had recently rented an apartment in Salt Lake City, less than an hour from her place. Good thing, too. He remembered the night she called, confused, frantic, unable to feel her feet or hands. It had taken her three tries just to dial his number. By the time he got to her house, she was on the floor in the living room, unable to move. The doctors kept her in the hospital for two weeks, but weren't able to figure what was wrong. Experts in viral and bacterial infections were flown in, but could not isolate the foreign strain that was holding Bryce's mother hostage. It seemed to be a rare occurrence of an infection, chemically similar in composition to encephalitis, but without the continuing negative side effects. Instead, she was paralyzed from the neck down, but stable. Bryce had argued and negotiated, but finally persuaded the hospital staff to set up a bed in his mother's home, where she would be continuously monitored and cared for. That was over two years ago. Bryce's life was now split between the army and caring for his mother. When he wasn't deployed, he stayed at his mother's house, taking an odd job here and there to pay her enormous bills. As he thought more about the mounting stack of bills he'd be facing upon his return to the States, he remembered the great deal he'd been offered. Sure, it was probably dangerous. He didn't offer someone two million dollars just to play security guard. But like Whittenfield had said, he'd be able to pay the remainder of his mother's bills and have more than enough to keep them both comfortable for a while afterward. He sighed, the swelling in his arm and shoulder reminding him of his healing injuries, and walked back to the main hallway. Surprisingly, Whittenfield was there to meet him. They shook hands, and Bryce followed the older man out to the tarmac, where a sleek business-class Learjet was waiting. Next to the military planes and vehicles surrounding it, the jet seemed out of place. This guy must have some friends in very high places, Bryce thought as he boarded the plane. A flight attendant wearing the Whittenfield Research logo on a blue button-down shirt 
appeared and guided Bryce and Whittenfield to a seat toward the back of the plane. They were the only two passengers. This must be Whittenfield's plane, Bryce thought. Promptly, the attendant brought forth two cocktails, a mix of some hard liquor and the fruit juice. Whittenfield shook his glass and took a drink. Bryce did the same, all the while examining the interior of the fancy plane. Its seats were rhubarb-colored, accented with a rich mahogany. The center of the fuselage had been stripped of the rows of seats, and in their place a large square room stretched toward the cockpit. A sign on the door facing Bryce said, Command. And Bryce realized then that this plane wasn't just a means of transportation for the rich businessman. It was a mobile command center. So, Bryce, let's dive in. I'm sure you have a lot of questions for me. Whittenfield began. And seeing as we have only eight hours of flying time in front of us, we'd better get started. Bryce smiled. The obvious sarcasm was not lost on him. Mr. Whittenfield, I appreciate your hospitality here, and I am interested to know what it is exactly that your company does, or if it's just... Bryce fumbled for his words, hoping not to insult the man seated across from him. I guess I just need the reassurance of knowing that this deal you offered me seems great, uh, amazing actually, is going to turn out to be something. He hesitated, not finding the correct words. Woodenfield held up a hand to interject. Captain Reynolds, I understand that this seems to be quite an unbelievable opportunity for you. However, I promise you that I am more than serious. In fact, he said, reaching to a briefcase next to his seat and taking out a small netbook laptop. I'll go ahead and transfer the initial one million into an account of your choosing. Further, if you're not satisfied with the position one week from now, I'll request half of that amount be wired back to me, and we can go our separate ways. The half million dollars remaining will be yours as a gift. Consider it the most lucrative work week of your life. With a smug grin, he turned the laptop to Bryce and waited for his response. The plane started to taxi only minutes away from takeoff. Bryce sensed that he was also only minutes away from a drastic change in his life. He leaned forward in his seat to enter the bank account information. And his new boss, James Whittenfield Jr., looked out the window, content. Hey, listener, this podcast is a year-long journey, but I get it. Sometimes we're in it for the destination, not the journey. If you want it all at once, right now, without having to wait a year, 
Grab it here, nickthacker.com slash audio. That's N-I-C-K-T-H-A-C-K-E-R dot com slash audio. Oh, and if you use the code PODCAST2021 at checkout, I'll give you another 20% off.